everybody, and welcome to Casual Cognition. We have a very special episode today, our first three-way interview. Hank and I both chat with friend of the show and up-and-coming synth artist Cosmo, a.k.a. Remnant.exe. It's a real barn burner. We're two hours long, and we go all over the place from culture to music to trauma to psych psychology and philosophy and we even tell some stories so stick around it's going to be a great show thank you so much for listening here we go and we're live we're live we're live a live three-way We've been looking forward to Sexy. this for a long time. I mean, I've been looking forward to this my entire life. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess in this case, you're the voyeur because we're the ones on the bed together. It's okay, buddy. I like to watch. <laughs> Don't you worry. I am here for the show. Bro, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back. It's good to have you. It's a pleasure. I think you know, the pleasure is all mine in this case because this is my first um, instance where I'm able to actually talk live with our friend Cosmo, friend of the right. show, good yes. friend of Hank. Um, he and I have exchanged some words uh, over the internet in text format, but I have not, and I've obviously listened to um, the two previous podcast that I edited, but I have not gotten the immense pleasure of getting to talk to Cosmo live, so this is very special to me, so welcome, Cosmo. Thank you for coming on. Again. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Always In, happy to be here. Insert <laughs> crowd applause. Yes. Right, right there. <laughs> like, I guess we should mention yeah. that, uh, yeah, um, Hank and Cosmo are actually in the same room right now, which is a rarity on this show it's only happened one other time that you had one host in with another person in the same room and that, that was whenever episode... i interviewed tommy oh 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 i thought you were talking about the other three-way that we did which no because that one that one didn't that, that one unfortunately <laughs> got lost thanks to my uh computer's untimely death um, or my laptop's untimely death, um, and that's that's just f another nail in the coffin to why I don't like laptops and would rather use a desktop. But now I was talking about me and Tommy. He I interviewed him and in, uh, here in this room with my uh, USB mic, and it turned out good. But um, this is the the first three way of our show that we that we will actually release. We are breaking ground. Breaking big ground. As long as the gods will it, it will probably be released tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Just my luck. Wow. I mean, this will be the the day that my thirteen year old computer finally just decides to shit itself and break down. But um, you know, I'm gonna knock on this fake wood that my desk is made of. That that will not happen, because I think this conversation is gonna be fantastic. Well, yes. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
first of all, I wanted to ask, what's uh, Cosmo, I do not know where you live. And Hank, you're in California right now. Where yeah. did you like like? Because whenever I first heard about you, I assumed that you were over there in Europe with Hank, because some of his other buddies are over there mm. that we've interviewed and stuff. And then I I was like, you know, oh oh he's gonna be over there. Didn't he live in Europe? I mean, I I I, I listened to your uh, your episode, so I knew you didn't have an accent, uh, European accent. Um, but um, where do, where are you living? I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, currently. Ah, <laughs> right near my mother. Wow. I may be able to come say hi to you and do an in-person hello. Um, yeah. In the fairly near future then. Yeah, my grandparents used to live there too. I'm very familiar with that city. It's a great oh, city. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a place. I, I enjoy uh living there for the most part there's good food i like the whole uh red and green chili culture <laughs> and those uh, hatch chilies oh yeah oh That's yeah good shit <laughs> i mean i i can't get enough of it it's it's just yeah it's it's real good so yeah anytime you come through let me know because i'd love to uh love to hang out and meet you in person yeah, As, I will. Uh, my mom lives uh, like just on the other side of the Sandias, like like maybe 30, 40 minutes right outside of uh, like the middle of Albuquerque. Um, uh, to, just to the uh, just to the east, east by uh, northeast, and um, it's just beautiful out there. We went out there last Christmas, not this previous Christmas, but the the one before. And I absolutely loved it out there. Brought our dogs. We road tripped out there, and oh, nice. we hiked up onto uh, Sandia Peak and everything. And yeah. you know that just amazing view over the city. And uh, it, was, it was during the winter time, so there was snow up on the peaks. So that's that's just a really fun place. Now, um, how in the world did you and Hank meet? <laughs> well, uh, Hank and I both grew up in Sedona. Uh, I'm a few years younger than him, so he I was about was... to say, how did I not know about this? Because <laughs> I also knew Hank from Sedona. <laughs> yeah. You guys were on either side. Like, I was, I'm kind of in the middle in terms yeah. of age of, of you two, so... Yeah, I was two years older than Hank. Yeah. Uh, Hank was, Hank was a senior when I was a freshman in high school. Gotcha. And we played on the tennis team together. Uh, I no did one, shit. Yep, I did one semester of tennis, and I was really bad at it. And I was on the JV team. And it's okay, Hank so was, was Hank. No, he, Hank was great, <laughs> at least compared to me. Uh, I'm just giving him shit. He was, he was, he was, he was pretty good. He was pretty. I good. was okay. My mental game was what fucked me. I would just get so butthurt when I started I losing, that. and then I would just go in a downward spiral. <laughs> it was the that. worst. Oh man, but yeah, uh, I, I guess tennis. Like, I I got to like be acquainted with you through that, but we didn't really start hanging out until I was in college. Yeah, and started going over to your place, uh, because I had a few other friends who lived there at the time, and we all just started chilling out and jamming on instruments and. Yeah, that was like Sorry. when I first got into playing music. 
actually. Oh, really? That was like right around that time. Yeah. Uh, I had, yeah, I think, or yeah, I started playing that year, like in the spring. And then I think, or wait. Yeah, so it was yeah that was right around the time when I started playing music. We had some we had some jams. Yeah, that was that was playing a really instruments. good time. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Hank first started singing with me <laughs> in my wow. in my truck. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely that was definitely part of it. And then once I got my own car, then I continued. But we would still, we would still have our. We'd sing together, but yeah, I just meant, I just meant you and I first started talking about singing together. Right. Wow. Whenever, uh, whenever I was about seventeen, you were about fifteen, and uh, yeah, we were we were hanging out in the truck, and we we just kind of jammed out together, and we we I remember having this conversation with you that we were both kind of embarrassed about it, but we both really loved to sing. Hmm. I don't even remember that. I wow. have a freaky memory about, about <laughs> things. I mean, those were really po- were really crazy days for me, so maybe my memory is a little bit more um, entrenched into my brain. But Right. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, do you actually remember how we met? I mean, yeah, I know we had two mean? classes together. Like, I don't remember how don't, we became friends. I don't remember either. I feel like... I think what ended up... Ha- how I kind of got into the, the crew with with you and like all the other homies was through Dennis team. <laughs> it was it was through Sean Oyakawa actually. No shit. Cuz he Sean Oyakawa. I I don't know how I became friends with him, but like he uh I just I just remember he brought Ryan Bouchard over one time. I don't know if you knew him. I don't so think that's so. Probably... just a little bit I think these guys were like a, just a few years too old, but then I that hung might have out with actually Ryan. been the big thing because I brought Ryan into the into the into the crew. Yeah, so me and me and our buddy Ryan, uh, we we bonded over um, Ocarina of Time, the mm. old Zelda game. Yeah, and then we were just like, because it was it was both of, it was our favorite game, yeah. just period. <laughs> so then we were yeah. like, all right. Your homie, and then he turned out to be actually a really cool person. Yeah, Ryan's cool. an awesome guy. <laughs> I remember whenever I first saw you in class, you you were you were kind of a class clown type. Yeah, that was definitely <laughs> my vibe, and I didn't like. I can that. see that. <laughs> I thought you were kind of a shithead whenever I first saw you in class. Yeah, not gonna you're lie, a, you're a little jelly of my. Of no, my I was just. Um, <laughs> I was honestly just kind of a bitter person at that point <laughs> and so when i saw like and i also uh, one of the things was that you would like razz like like you know you'd be a little disruptive and you'd razz, oh, yeah. razz the teacher a little bit yeah and you know i was probably 17 18 years old at this point and just fucking like i said just bitter and depressed and i was just like <laughs> just kind of like shut the fuck up right kind I, was, I was having too much fun for, yeah, you're, for at, you. you're having way too much fun like i'm gonna fuck <laughs> but then uh then I, I remember that we did end up having some like either stoned or drunken interactions at, at social um, gatherings and and having long conversations and that's where you and I really took off as friends. Yeah, we we would be the people sitting on the couch at like three in the morning when everyone else had gone to sleep, and we would be <laughs> philosophizing about esoteric matters 
in the universe <laughs> and like yep yeah that's basically how this now podcast we've devolved <laughs> into bitching about joe rogan <laughs> well i mean that's the, like the the sitting on the party sitting on the couch at 3 a.m at a party that's kind of like when you guys started doing this podcast that's exactly what i was picturing right <laughs> when i started listening to the conversations that you guys are having like that's exactly the content and discussions that usually happen at like late night gatherings when the the energy has died down and two or three people sort of hang out on the porch and start <laughs> start getting these ideas flowing and yeah. bouncing them off of each other so i think that's that's only fitting that mm. you guys just started that and that and now you're here yeah That's man it's I've always loved doing man yeah we it really has been and i mean i mean i think that's one of the ways that we connected as well yeah. like when we when we started actually hanging out like it was obviously through music but then we found ourselves having those same kinds of conversations which is why you're like like you're exactly the kind of people that we want to bring in person that we want to bring into the conversation right like you you're creative, you're interested in ideas, uh, and you, you are, yeah, just like, I mean, we, I remember we were, uh, we, we talked about Alan Watts one, the one time yeah. for like, for yeah. like, for a while. I remember it's that. funny, I was just about to ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, cause I've, I've, um, I've, I've listened to y'all talk a little bit, but, um one of our one of our main themes around here is just kind of like a like a like a spiritual i, I like to think of it as a down-to-earth spiritual uh conversation and um i know you've listened to to some of the casts and um so i was i was wondering what where you kind of stand in that realm if if you've got any uh particular ideologies or this may be too negative of a word but uh, you know. <laughs> oh I've got <laughs> ideologies <laughs> well but, uh, so tell me about them <laughs> well uh, but yeah no that's I don't think a, it has to be a negative word <laughs> no I, I I get exactly what you're what you're going for here uh, well listening to the podcast I discovered that I'm an avid practicer practicer uh, I, I practice maybe? stoic philosophy and I didn't know that there was a name for this way of oh. living mm. until I started li listening to the podcast because I, I just thought like I remember this was sort of like mid probably like four or five years ago where I started like getting this all in my head and starting to think about these things like this and I was just like oh yeah I've just figured it out like this is just how you live your life without having to like stress about anything and get shit done and then i was listening to you guys talk about uh i think it may have been the episode the like the glass bead game death episode mm. uh yeah we talked my, about memento mori right one of the stoic practices of like just thinking about and becoming aware of the fact that we're all gonna fucking die yeah yeah like that's been a big uh a big like uh, just thing in my head 
for a while where I'm just like, I want to live day to day with the idea that when I, if I were to die in my sleep when I go to bed that night, that I didn't feel like I had wasted any of my time mm. that day or in my life. Mm. Right. And obviously, like, some days are just going to be, like, kind of shitty and you're not going to be able to, like, live them to the absolute maximum fullest. But I think just having that as, like, a general, like, lifestyle of maybe just saying yes to things that might pull me out of my shell but could open the doors to, like, really fun experiences and anything like that like even just like coming out here to hang out with hank for the weekend it's a it's a considerable drive from albuquerque out to santa barbara and yeah uh my car is in uh well when i left i thought it was in decent condition <laughs> um but upon arriving to california i discovered it's it's got some problems it's gonna make nothing, getting back home test the vehicle like a nice long road trip <laughs> yeah exactly so uh and that i always that's take my vehicles stuff. into a mechanic before a road trip and say hey can you give it a once over and tell me if you see anything blatantly wrong with it before i take this out on a 700 mile trip yeah uh that's probably that, a good call that's gonna be well, that's that's what I'm gonna be doing before I go back. Cause uh, I've taken I... a lot of long trips. <laughs> I've done this many, many times. Going back to this uh, memento mori thing, yeah. like I, I also think that. J- so it's almost like especially if you don't manage to have a day that you're happy with, yep. like if you if you think about that at the end of that day. You're like, okay, like, I'm on my deathbed or whatever, right? Yeah. And it's like, all right, I'm slipping away now. And then you feel the the pangs of regret yep. from, a, from a, a life not lived, even if it's just on that one day. Like, it's so powerful mm-hmm. to feel that. And, like, the chances of you doing that again the next day like rapidly (laughs) go down to zero if you actually have that experience yeah yeah that like that's the kind of stuff that just like it motivates me and drives me to just keep just keep doing as much like cool stuff as i can manage uh and yeah like back to the the thing about my car like that's always like on my mind like when i'm gonna like go on a trip of like oh what if something goes wrong and like i'll have to deal with that and like i don't have to risk any of that happening if i just don't go (laughs) right and i can just stay home (laughs) in my little like comfortable shell yeah and every time i have ever i don't think i've actually ever gone through with just like canceling plans because i have like some some high level anxiety about what could go wrong but like Mm. every time i like it's like after the trip i think about those thoughts and i'm like wow i'm such an idiot for like even having that even cross my mind to just like not do this because i had such an amazing experience and did all these things that i don't know if i'll ever be able to do again but it was a it was a great time and my life has been uh enriched to a degree that was very high 
Definitely. And, and not only that, that but you can also like you also find that first of all like the worrying about what could go wrong doesn't help at all and then when something does go wrong you are just able to rise to the challenge and fucking figure it out if exactly. it does happen so it's like exactly and that that brings me to like my next sort of like life philosophy point of also i think this is a, a tenet of stoic philosophy of like not worrying yourself with things you can't control yep that is another <laughs> one yep and i just like like of course there's like some things that i i keep in mind if you know have contingencies for as much as i can prepare for potential uh unexpected events but at the end of the day like I'll just deal with stuff as it comes along. I'm not going to let anything affect me that I have no impact on. And I think that, I think it leads I'm dying, to... dude. <laughs> this sounds so much like everything I tell myself before doing drugs at festivals. <laughs> like everything, literally every single step is like... And have an amazing experience. Don't think about everything that could go wrong. If I can hand, if something comes up that does go wrong, I'll be able to handle it. This is just my my pep talk before taking an acid tab at a festival. Oh man, yeah, but like you can apply that to a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, you can. You're right. This is this is great life advice. I love it. I just couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, oh my god. But yeah, that's a. Uh... I, I think that's very important to, to go over those things before going on a any kind of psychedelic trip. Uh, any kind which, of trip. Road trip, yeah, psychedelic yeah, trip. A journey <laughs> of, of any kind. Backpacking trip. Yeah. Any yeah. kind of journey. <laughs> uh, and also another thing of like, I know a lot of people who tend to get really, really depressed about like world events that are happening and i think that a lot of that i'm not saying that's like bad i think it's healthy to have empathy and to feel uh concern for your your fellow humans uh but I, but again once you start to apply that like not worrying about things that you can't control like it's a uh, you can start to detach and sort of have feelings about things and do what you can to assist in the things that you care about but like great big meta matters that you're a, a little small fry against if they don't actually like physically have any anything to do with you I find it best to just sort of remove myself from that and like have my own little bubble of things so it doesn't like bring me down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that a lot of people make the mistake of going beyond, like, our, we kind of, our lives can be, we can look at them through this kind of model of like concentric circles of influence. Mm -hmm. in a way and i think way too many people focus on like the outermost rings of the circle 
Yeah. When they're like their individual, like the point, like their locus of consciousness, their be like their themselves as individuals is a fucking mess. And there's like yeah. so much self work that they need to do to yep. be able to integrate and stop projecting their shit onto the world. And like they're freaking out about, um, I don't know, cult- Joe Rogan or like <laughs> yeah. whatever the fuck, yeah. you know? And it's Anything just like, like this is not, that is just so unhelpful and so unhealthy. And like, and also what you said about, like yeah it's good to have empathy for people but it's not good to get so freaked out about global issues that you get depressed yeah and then just fall into a hole and like that that doesn't help anyone that just makes it worse for everyone so i think that like that definitely is a big issue where people they try to change the world before they can fucking keep their room clean or you know what i mean or like (laughs) before they can fucking brush their teeth and wipe their ass like yeah exactly (laughs) i think i mean coming back to a term i learned on this you're talking about the postmodernists here who just uh (laughs) you know they're just looking for everybody to uh you know they're they're only focused on words and all that's all they care about is language and they're just looking for everybody to uh to conform to their idea of society (laughs) Mr. Clean, I mean, kind clean of. your room over here. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a problem. I mean, I, it's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you liked Peterson. I know. Uh, I was going to say, there is another another side to this, um, of what you're talking about. Because I I do think that there is... Um, there's an also an aspect of what you're saying, like, that gets uh, th- th- it's it's kind of a pendulum swing and a balance like everything else is mm-hmm. where yes you need to have some balance in your life and you need to um keep be be uh conscious of of who you are what your issues are what your biases are what your motivations what sort of are you're dealing are what, what your, your values are, are. Yeah, and you need to evaluate all these things and be real with yourself and honest with yourself and and continue to improve yourself on these things. But I also think that it's a it's a bad um, way to think, um, or maybe not a bad way is the wrong way to say it. I think that it would be extreme to say that you have to have everything in order in order to yeah, I mean, make change in the world around that's you. Kind of, so, that's way too much of an absolute to make a <laughs> that, statement well, that's, like that. that well, that's why I'm trying to say that like there is a balance to be had here. There is yeah. a place where you, you're a complete fucking shit show and you don't have your shit in order at all and you have no idea what you're talking about and yet you're trying to criticize the world around you. And that's bad. There's also a place where you're just solely focused on yourself and your own improvement and your mm. own continued uh, success and you're not doing anything for the world around you and that's the other extreme mm. so you have to find like there is a balance in here and i think that there's not just like one singular place i think that there's a large gray area depending on who you are, what your goals are, and what your, like, your sort of passions are for the world around you. Because yeah. you can be a poor fuck 
and still like go volunteer at the Humane Society if your passion is to like help <laughs> dogs or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And you know you can be very successful and you can make a huge amount of difference on poverty and homelessness in your town or something like that. So I think that there are there's there's this gray area that exists where you have to evaluate what you're passionate about and what you want to make a difference in and then, you know, where you are in your life and whether you're able to make any kind of difference. And maybe, you know, in my personal experience, one thing that I like to do is, you know, I'm not in the in the position in my life where I can go out and make a huge difference in my community, but you know what I can do? I can make a regular donation to a little charity uh, that that I have a, a, a automatic, you know, I think it's like a $9 withdrawal or something to a charity of my choice. And that's just a little way where you can make a difference. So I think that it's it's important to recognize that you don't have to wait until you're perfect to make a difference. Well, you're already you also perfect. shouldn't just... <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who you talk to, right? What do you mean well, Now you're perfect? going to different extremes. You're going from Jordan <laughs> Peterson to Ram Dass here. <laughs> Jesus. That's why I'm... Um... That's why I'm a nuanced thinker because you don't know what I'm gonna fucking say. You no, no, you can't just you can't just nail down. No, all you're my a flip flopper. <laughs> but no, I think I think you bring up a good point, you know. And and I I guess the this kind of model of concentric circles can be kind of valuable because it can help it you evaluate valuable. like where you are, and then maybe like as a general rule of thumb, it's like don't go beyond like one or two concentric circles like past where you're at you know what i mean so like if you're just if you're still stuck on the like just getting your own shit together completely you probably shouldn't try to change global politics because you're probably just going to make it worse right Mm -hmm. but like you could gain a lot by focusing on trying to improve your family or trying to improve the local community around or like that you're a part of, right? And you can get a lot as an individual through working through those like outer circles, right? But if it gets too far removed from where we actually are, then I think it's like generally unhelpful and it can be counterproductive. Um, But like you said, like there's definitely nuance in the equation here. It depends on what your passion is. and I think like... Do what you can to the degree where it does not affect your own livelihood and uh, opportunities for personal growth and prosperity as a as a human on the soul level. A term a term I learned on the podcast is tend the garden you can touch yeah yeah that's exactly that's exactly (laughs) it right that's uh that's that's been a great uh a great term Mm. to just keep in mind that was yeah genius genius yeah that's a that's a nice that's a simpler much simpler than like okay so we got these concentric circles (laughs) of influence right and like uh no that's that's spot on yeah so where do you, where do you feel like you're at 
with that stuff? Like, are you ready to go storming the global politics and change change the world? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I uh, I don't know if this like sounds selfish or is selfish, but I have like with my with my own music, like my goal, like the ultimate like overarching goal, and I think this is the case for a lot of musicians is to just be able to unite people on a level beyond that of petty global politics and interpersonal disagreements and be able to do that with uh, sort of within my own reach for whoever however many people I can reach through that to be able to foster some type of uh, I don't know higher level of unity and understanding or wonder um, and that's a really like not concrete or actionable goal <laughs> which is like that's why i'm saying it sounds kind of selfish and kind of like a cop out of like oh well, i don't have to do anything else because i just make cool music and that's all i'm gonna do with my life and people are gonna think i'm great and uh yeah but i think i think there are some uh some some other goals but what i what i want to be able to do obviously i mean i think money is a big uh money's a big factor in all of this kind of stuff and i currently am Can not make making it. enough to support my own self and i want to my main my main goal is to be able to support myself and then surplus <clears throat> you know once once i'm earning a, a decent amount of money be able to you know help the local community and you know help with issues i i care about for sure um and until until that point because like like at this point it's like i don't have enough for myself so like i it's hard for me to like try to give away you know whatever you know what i have because it's like well i don't have enough but if i if i were in a position where i i was just like extremely rich i would feel genuinely like guilty about not just like reinvesting in my community or just like helping out you know wherever possible so that's a that's sort of where I'm at on all this, if that's mm. what we're talking about. I can, I mean, I can well, definitely thing, resonate with that. One thing that's that I'd like to um, mention to to you, Cosmo, and also you, Hank, um, since both of y'all are musicians, that I actually think that. Um, you're understating the value of music to bring people together or maybe i just underestimating 
Yeah, but that because... doesn't put food on the table, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm not, I was talking about a statement before that. That, um, you know, you want to, you felt a little silly that, you know, oh, I'm just bringing people together by making cool music. Now, that is, I mean, cool music has brought people together throughout the centuries, throughout all of probably millennia yeah potentially since since music has been invented it's one of the most powerful tools to bring people together and i'm going to give you a couple of examples here one of them you know who tipper is uh yeah i've heard the name i yeah he's kind of a um very interesting edm artist yeah and I don't know if you've heard any of his stuff. I don't really listen to EDM much, like, on my own. It's experiencing it live that really is the magic to me. Yeah. And so if, if, if you were to listen to Tipper on your own, it's, it's, not, it, you know, it's, it's not like listening to your typical song. But when I was there, when I, I was at a, uh, a music festival... And I um, have I have I told this story uh, about I think I actually might have Hank uh, the story of going to the Tipper concert at Okeechobee. I can't remember. Uh, I don't think you told it on on the show at least. Did I tell it to you? I think so. <laughs> this is a we- this is a wacky story. Maybe I might not. Well start at the beginning. This is a pretty funny story. So I was at Okeechobee Festival. And I had befriended, we were in the ADA section because I got qualified for a uh, disability thing because of my, um, my pelvis break, my, my mm. hip issues. And, um, you know, they, they basically, it was, the ADA camp wasn't even half full at that one. A lot of times, apparently, according to other people, they're, they're full because it's first come, first serve, and... Most of the people there were just diabetics with tons of their friends. Because apparently, like, you're allowed to have, if one person has the ADA permit, you could just pile in a whole vehicle full of people. And they could just go in there with you. So it was just me and my girlfriend. Um, And then we had another couple with us, and the other guy was diabetic. And um, so I had my spot, and I was able to, I had this wristband that allowed me to get onto these platforms that were kind of close to the stage. And they were like just a little offset from the stage and they had some chairs there and they, they blocked everybody else except for the people with these wristbands <laughs> onto the stage. And you ha- <laughs> it was really fucking funny, dude. I, I got all kinds of perks from that. Every festival I go to, I'm going to go for that because it's um, it's just so much better and so much easier for me because I do get like a shitload of pain and have a lot of issues walking around and standing around at these places. So um, they, uh, they'll, they'll like golf cart me around. What? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. It's like some yeah, VIP they, shit, dude. Yeah. They, uh, they, they take me around on a golf cart. You, you, you. Just go to the the little booth, the little support booth, and um, and by the way, for the listeners, 
If y'all haven't heard the previous thing, I, I've broken my pelvis. I have permanent nerve damage. I was in a wheelchair for a while. I have, like, extreme chronic pain. I'm not just taking advantage of something <laughs> just because I can, I promise. I actually do kind of need this stuff. Dude, you it can. does help me a lot. Dude, I don't have a lot of that. health issues. We're, we're supposed to get canceled, dude. <laughs> <laughs> trying to yeah, get canceled there's, here. There's going to be somebody like, what the fuck, you asshole, taking advantage of disability stuff? Like, I actually do have a lot of serious health issues. Um, but no, uh, what I was getting at is that my neighbor was this guy who, he was the, the most disabled person in the disabled camp. And he and I became buddies. I've actually talked to him a few times recently. We still keep up with each other. His name's Preston. And he has this very rare genetic condition that, um, like, I, I don't, I, I do not know. I can't remember the name of it because I, I, I assumed a couple of different things. And he's like, no, this is, like, super weird and rare where he his upper body was very developed but his lower body like didn't quite work super well but he could kind of move around a little bit so he had like one a one full arm crutch and then he could move around with that and it was crazy how he moved around he was super buff up top he was pretty short but like like really strong up top and he could move around just as fast as anyone else on this fucking crutch and he had another buddy there that uh, that I also became friends with. And the three of us, he his other buddy was the only one who was not disabled at all. He just had these fat bags of wine that he brought out everywhere. Like he'd, he'd take like the, you know, the Franzia boxes, the box wine, he'd take <laughs> yeah. the bags out. Oh, man. And because we were in the cripple camp, like nobody would, would stop us. Nobody would search us. So he'd just fill his backpack up with these bags of wine. <laughs> the... Uh, the we had our own security guards to go into the main stages and they started to get to know us and they called us the three amigos <laughs> and they fucking one time they looked in our bag and, and they saw these bags of wine and a bunch of weed in there he goes oh y'all about to have, some, have a good night tonight aren't you all right go on ahead like they were just like totally cool with this oh that's great and yeah and um so i'm, I'm going to this tipper concert and I promise I, I will get back to our original point here. <laughs> it's just a funny story to get up to it. Um, so we get in there, and the the, other, the the band that came on before them was just finishing up, and some of the crowd was coming out. I'm sure y'all have been to concerts before. Some, especially a big one, it's hard to get to the front. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the ADA stage is kind of packed into this huge crowd that's going around the stage because everybody wants to get into the tipper show. And so I, I talked to my buddy and I go, hey man, I got an idea. I need you to go in front of me and I'm gonna shine my, my flashlight, my phone flashlight about, uh, above it and I'm just gonna start like Mosesing this thing. And and he gets what I'm what I'm throwing down, and so I start just yelling like cripple, cripple coming through, cripple kid coming through, <laughs> and and it really does just like part the whole crowd 
Because, you know, everybody's on drugs and shit there. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as they see, like, somebody who's obviously crippled with the crutch and stuff, and I'm trying to, like, get them into the side, like, move aside, move aside. <laughs> everybody just parts. And we make our way through this dense crowd of people and make our, and get our, get all the way to the ADA stage. And it's, it's like, you know, probably three quarters of the way to the front of the stage through the crowd. And we finally make it up there. And... It was absolutely crazy. Now, at this point, we had just uh, we just taken a lot of drugs before we got into this whole thing, so we're just starting to trip balls. And Tipper was a great show; it was a mind blowing show. But um, I even saw at one point our our other buddy. Um, there was a security guard there, and he had this this big bag of ketamine and this little spoon, and he was like holding the security guard and helping him take a bump of ketamine off of the spoon. It was a oh, wild wow. show, man. But what I was getting to in this, and, and, and like I said, it's, it's a fun story, but this is what really made me realize like the true potency of music in like, like groups, like big groups of people. Mm-hmm. Because... I got to see, because the ADA stage, sorry, my lighting here is a little wacky because it just got dark here. I'm trying to get my, <laughs> I need to, I need to get some better lighting here. I'm yeah, I was going to gonna our, say something about that. trying to get that. our look- videos <laughs> going and you can, uh, I look like a fucking ghost. Like fucking Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I look like I'm getting interrogated, but this is the best I'm going to get for now. Yeah, that's better. But, so... I uh, I'm looking out over this crowd, and I'm probably this. The platform is probably you know five six feet up off of the ground, and you see this crowd of thousands of people, and most of these people have heard Tipper because they're all EDM fans, and he I, I don't know Hank, have you ever been to an EDM show? Oh yeah, <laughs> so. For the listeners who haven't, how the how these things work, they don't just like like finish a song and then start another song. Like these EDM shows, they flow. Each song flows into another. The music doesn't really stop. There's yeah, just they like usually a little, like, DJ like, like yeah. mix the song. Yeah, they the mix them together. together. But once you hear there a certain like kind of line of a song, people know which song is coming up next. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a particular song, I don't know the name of it, that everybody was looking for, that everybody was hoping <laughs> that this guy would play. Mm. And he waited until almost all the way through the show to play it. <clears throat> and when he played it, and my buddy was actually telling me, like, oh, I so hope he plays this song. And when he finally played it, the the noise of the crowd and I, 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 I'm so thankful that I was I actually looking at the crowd because I'll never forget this visual. This visual is like burned into my brain. <laughs> it was the, it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen, because you see the crowd kind of milling around and kind of just standing there, and and kind of not doing everything. Everybody's kind of standing up straight, and then you hear like maybe a, I would say literally less than a second. Because the first line of it is, is pretty quick. You can tell which song's coming up pretty quick. So a second or less, within a second or less, 
you go from the crowd standing around, kind of milling around, to this deafening roar. <laughs> Everyone in the whole fucking place just, <laughs> and the whole crowd shifts forward in this major, major way to, to where like, you go from seeing everybody's heads and now all of a sudden you're seeing everybody's backs. Like they're all, they're like at a 45 degree angle. Everybody's trying to get forward. Mm, it was wow. one of the craziest fucking things that I've ever seen. Thousands of people within a half of a second period react in the exact same way. Like auditorily, movement, <laughs> everything, just in the whole thing just shifts forward in front of like two or three feet. Mm. It was mind blowing. And then after that, you could just hear this. You, for a second, I could barely even hear the music except for the bass. You could only hear the roar of the crowd. So I think that that good music has the potential to unite people on almost a subliminal level. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. We were talking about some, some other elements uh, of music that are really powerful as well earlier. Um, and one... Especially, I think, when it comes to electronic dance music, like, for many people, that is their only outlet for trauma release, actually. And they don't really? know that that's, that's what they're doing. But, like, we hold traumatic experiences in our bodies, and uh, we get really rigid and like stiff. physical... Yes, exactly. So moving around. Exactly. Getting the getting the body moving and the dancing. Like people will have that's why you see people fucking breaking down and crying and like I've seen that <laughs> Yeah. Because they're they're and they're releasing I mean the drugs have a little bit to do with it too, but they definitely help. If if it's in the if it's in the <laughs> they right break setting. the dam. Yeah. Like or at least fracture the dam. Totally. I mean, yeah, the, some of those substances can be really power. I mean, we're seeing that with, with a lot of the research now. A lot of the psychedelic um, compounds are really powerful for having therapeutic uh, experiences for, like, healing trauma, right? And so a lot of people, they don't even realize that that's, like, what they're doing. <laughs> but that's a huge part of music. It's a, it's a way for us to, like, process things that that we have stored in our bodies actually yeah um so that's like that is of very serious value right because like a lot of people they either can't afford or because of the stigma or whatever like they're not gonna go to therapy so like that's why they go to EDM concerts every <laughs> couple of weeks like that's there. <laughs> you know and it's and it's something that we've been doing oh my god it's it's a participatory that is close to home not for myself but for people that I've known yeah yep definitely man it's <laughs> covid knocked a lot of people off of their therapy routines yeah yeah say. that's what that's, that's what i mentioned literally when, when what Hank you said. said that cuz like there were so many people that like they they were that was just their thing and yeah. then the pandemic hit and they didn't have that anymore and they just got like completely depressed because that was like their only outlet for their you know whatever emotional stuff they had mm. dude that was one of our roommates she went fucking psycho damn i, I almost had to like 
I, I basically I did I did literally call the sheriff's department and be like, hey, um, if this happens, uh, what should I do? Because <laughs> this woman is getting violent. Like she went fucking nuts. Yeah. And it was because she was well, she had a double double whammy of stopping to go go to these fucking concerts where she was doing all her drugs and also getting off of her uh, benzos or mm. Xanax. Oh yikes! Yeah, that's so. a bad combo. Yeah, that that has taken out millions and millions and millions of people. Actually, that just trying including to get almost off. your boy Peterson. <laughs> yeah, he he did almost <laughs> fucking die from that. Uh, yeah, that was pretty gnarly, man. Um, oh, man. I mean, my my dad went through Don't that as well. Fuck with it wasn't those people. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as as what uh, happened to Jordan Peterson, but like shit, man, that is a serious that is serious shit. Um, yeah, so Cosmo. <clears throat> yeah, I was actually in this vein. I was wondering, like, with you, for me, um, this is a hard question to form, but for me, I find that, like, like, I have a lot of fucked up shit about me. I have a lot of trauma stuff and addiction issues and all these different things, and I find that art in general, whether it's um, singing is something that really means a lot to me. But also, uh, visual art, um, like sculpting in a way, um, uh, writing, and also consuming art, whether it's listening to music or reading books or so, stuff like that. Like, that really means a lot to me in this vein. You know, what does art and your music really do for you aside from what you were saying earlier like that that you you go to bed thinking like oh you want to live up to your potential you want to um you want to do something with your life like what is art what does your music do for you how does it serve you well it's sort of a window into aspects of our physical universe that we don't really get or that i don't really get in my day-to-day -day life like the way i view my art i know a lot of artists have like that sort of like cathartic you know trauma release whatever like i don't really have like a lot of at least yet yet to my knowledge i don't have a lot of like <laughs> anything have you been to therapy yet? i'm just kidding <laughs> like yeah it's it's not really like a therapeutic thing i mean I, I it is but like that's not like the main purpose of why i do what i do it's more so sort of this window into different aspects of my subconscious and like the universal subconscious that I sort of commune with when I'm working on music or even just visual art. Uh, like, I see a lot of just cryptic symbols and stuff in my dreams, mm. and uh, then I let it sort of just 
come through somehow or I end up like seeing that symbol somewhere else in real life and then it like inspires something else. But like one one connection here. I about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I had this dream where I was with Okay, so I had I had two separate dreams, but they were around they were close to the same same time frame might have been within the same week and one of these dreams i can't remember quite which one came first one of them i was with this primitive hunter gatherer type tribe and it was kind of like a horizon zero dawn type universe of like being (laughs) in a primitive uh sort of tribal society but there's like with technology technology stuff and like the creatures in this universe were sort of like they weren't entirely mechanical but they were like mechanically augmented and had like laser beam weapons and shit so anyway i'm I'm in this (laughs) dream dreams are so fucking cool (laughs) oh yeah this is i've got like the really extremely vivid dreams Hmm. Uh, so I, I was in this hunting party and we go out onto the, onto the plains and there's, uh, there's these hills and rocks and stuff and we're hunting some kind of prey animal. And then these, uh, these predator animals, the kind of like, I don't know, they seemed like large, uh, maybe tiger like creatures, like saber tooth tiger things with, I don't know, they had like weird laser weapons on them. And uh, they they sort of attacked us out of nowhere and threw off the whole hunting party and scattered us out. And I remember running, like, clambering up this, like, rocky hill while this thing's, like, chasing me around and sort of, like, parkouring my way across all these obstacles to get away from it. And I had a, uh, like, weird, like, rifle thing uh, with a scope on it. And I could, uh, I could shoot from this vantage point sort of protect my other uh hunting hunting member hunting team members uh and we we ended up i don't know if we if we fought off these creatures or if they ran away or we we escaped but it had thrown off the whole uh the whole day and we'd lost a lot of daylight and we all regrouped and we started walking through walking back to wherever we lived and we had to walk through this very very dark foresty section of the landscape and it was like a a, a tunnel almost like we're, we're out in the plains and then it and then it comes to this tunnel of very dense forest and it was extreme i mean the sun was was going down and it was extremely dark going into this uh uh this forest and we go in and um suddenly get surrounded by a pack of wolves and the wolves lunge and attack us all and i i I remember like viscerally feeling like teeth sinking into my leg and like ripping me around and like just being like mangled by an animal and uh your dreams are vivid (laughs) it was it was wild i thought Um, i had some vivid dreams this is detailed yeah it was it was incredible i mean that's why it stuck with me this was like over a year ago and uh the uh the other members of the hunting team they they fought off the wolves but i was mortally wounded and 
the leader of our group was this one like shaman like woman uh and she took me in her arms and she had like these tattoos all over her body of like i don't know like i can't remember exactly what but it was like some sort of like primal uh images of you know life and things and uh i just remember like dying in her arms in this dream and it was it was very very vivid and of course i woke up when i died but uh that that was like somehow connected with this other dream i had where i was with a group of people and we find this portal and i don't exactly remember what the portal looked like but we walk through the portal and there's this i sort of stepped out onto like an asteroid like it was just like barren rocks with no atmosphere or anything and just like big like massive nebula uh and stars and just like space and this giant megastructure sort of floating within the uh within the clouds of this nebula and it was just like a very simple sort of diamond rhombus shaped object but it was like concentric rhombuses they were like floating within each other and i I just remember feeling like immense like deep power in this object and i don't know what it was or you know what that what that meant but uh the the sort of like vertical rhombus diamond shape has been a a recurring a recurring theme um but that doesn't the rhombus doesn't have anything to do with the story pretty much but anyway anyway <laughs> so like two or three weeks later i i was like extremely inspired by uh a uh, a live stream that i watched which was just like a dj live stream and i was like man i really want to work on music right now so i, I like busted out this song in like three hours and it just like start <laughs> to finish made the whole thing and it sounded really cool and i was super stoked with it and about six months ago uh one of the uh one of the people i've been in contact with uh one of the guys who has a uh, a record label a dj uh by the name of hex cougar uh dj and producer incredibly talented producer uh he's he's got a uh a, a, a compilation album coming up on his label and he's looking to get submissions from people he uh he enjoys in the in the scene or thinks are cool up-and-coming producers so i uh i sent him that track i was like yo i i I made this a few months ago i don't know what i'm doing with it yet but i think it might fit on the label and he was instantly super excited about it and he uh i i had named it star portal just like sort of a working title but i was like i'm just gonna go with it like we're just calling it star portal which was kind of inspired by that that second dream of just like walking through the portal and seeing some like crazy uh you know giant object beyond comprehension of you know anything we understand and uh the uh he he has an artist for his label who does who does all the artwork and it's all like really cool sort of uh I don't know, like line drawing, cartoon style, um, just really cool art. 
and I didn't have like any input into what the actual track art for this song was supposed to look like and he sends me the art and it's like a circle of like bone like human bones with uh like leaves and fire and then just like a sort of nebulous like portal into space and it like totally like evoked the vibe of that first dream where i was in like the sort of primal mm. uh society and then like connecting it with the other dream so like basically what i'm getting at here is that like there's things happening in my subconscious where i'm like not explicitly expressing them into the world and then they just are like appearing just by me like making music and like having sort of you know disconnected connections with people about it well this is a classic thing (laughs) that we've talked about quite a bit and um i think we've talked about a little bit on the podcast but uh a lot on our own and that um you know our what we refer to as our consciousness is usually actually just our ego Mm -hmm. and just our sort of me sense and then a part of that expansion is getting into your body and getting into your subconscious and getting into all these other parts of you know your human form and then you can expand out from that and um no excuse me um also realize that everything around you this is this actually gets into the kind of the concentric (laughs) circles thing of like oh everything around you and your current in your like immediate environment is actually a part of you too yeah guess what it's like a community is a part of you yeah and guess what everything (laughs) yeah and you're a part of everything and you know those sorts of experiences remind us that you know what we're not so different as alan watts says a lot what happens to us isn't really all that different (laughs) than what we do it's Mm. just yeah (laughs) a very minor distinction real quick let me uh so i don't have to have this fucking interrogation light shining in my face (laughs) let me turn on this stupid light night crept up on me yeah man um so yeah i wanted to i wanted to mention one thing about that like i i feel that to look like you guys are you can't hear us (laughs) i already i already moved on um (laughs) but you didn't hear that that was the case so what happened um, i was just i was just mentioning like it's it's really interesting and i find that it kind of feels like the universe like gives us it's almost like when when stuff like that happens it's kind of like a gold star from the universe you know it's like keep doing what you're doing you know it's it's kind of like the, those um kind of serendipitous events uh i i really like that happens to me those kinds of things happen to me in a general sense like when i'm when i'm doing what I know I need to do, you know, like when I'm, when I'm following my Dharma as, as the Buddhists would say, like that's yeah. when I get those kinds of things happening. And like, just, 
things that you couldn't possibly plan or even like wish for and they just like happen they just fall in your lap and like these weird mm-hmm. connections and like that's um it's pretty awesome yeah yeah like that's that's sort of like how i know that like this is what i want to keep doing yeah if i can help it like it's it's such a cool exploration of just how the uh how the universe works and it's sort of a way to like remind myself that everything is so much more than just what we can like see and touch right it's like the connections of everything and the ripples of your thoughts and intentions and actions have so much more effect on the world that you live in and that you experience and the things that you receive back from the world than you could than you logically would think mm. dude it's like a so your 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 music is like if if i was going to get a, a given elevator pitch now yeah. after all this yeah it's the antidote to banality <laughs> yeah yeah it's a window into the incomprehensible complexity of the, of existence itself oh yeah yeah i guess i guess we haven't plugged enough i i don't even like edm all that much although like i said i i like me a good uh, edm concert but i've actually seen um cosmo perform live over stream and this was a, a funny thing that happened where it was like warming up and I was like, hmm, I didn't think that this was what was going to be happening. <laughs> um, it's, I, I like it. It's enjoyable. It's really nice. And, uh, but I, I thought that, I thought that it was going to be a little bit different here. And then this, Fl- switch flipped at some point. <laughs> he 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 dropped the the beat. He dropped the he did the drop not just on a song but on the set of songs where it took a turn where I was just like, "Whoa, <laughs> fuck!" <laughs> like yeah. it, Cosmo has some absolutely mind blowing music. So absolutely check him out i'll have all the links in the description of this episode um well thank you so definitely check him out because he is a massively talented um i don't even know what you call do you do you still just refer to yourself as like a musician yeah i i say i don't know what's a word I'm a musician. I guess the like most of the people in this field call themselves producers slash DJs. I don't but even like. I don't like those words. <laughs> no, I don't because I don't think that it, I think that you're a musician. Yeah, yeah. No, musician is definitely like the better term because yeah. I also like I I play a lot of real instruments right well even regardless of that like you're the one making the music yeah but i think a lot of these producer is somebody who brings in the music and then tweaks it to make it sound good 
It kind then, of depends to me, a, a bit. DJ is kind of like, you know, a mix of those two. But with you, I, as you said, like a musician, I feel like is the way to describe you. So a lot of those guys don't actually play any instruments, right? Like a lot of these, I mean, yeah. I mean, like there are a lot that do and a lot that don't. Usually yeah, they have yeah. a little bit of familiarity, I, mean, they, it, I think. It, it yeah, takes, definitely. It takes a fundamental understanding of how music works to be able to make any kind of music, Yeah, I think. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of people I know in this realm who their the extent of their musical, their technical music, musical ability is just through making electronic music. Like they never actually like took piano lessons or anything like that. They just yeah. sort of learned as they went. And if you do things right if you do the right things like you're gonna be able to make like really cool stuff without having to be able to play piano or anything like yeah. that uh but yeah there's there's a lot of people uh but I, I find an interesting dichotomy and this is just anecdotal i don't have any data to back this up i could be completely wrong about this but i've found that many of the people that make more like melodically focused electronic music tend to have some kind of classical music background mm. and the people who make more like beat and rhythm focused music tend to not have any kind of classical background a little more self-taught that yeah. makes that makes a lot of sense yeah because i mean if you think about it it's it's like it's not i wouldn't say it's easier i think it's easier to teach yourself how to like make cool sounds and then yeah put them together in a way that sounds cool rather than like writing an entire like melody and chord structure and figuring that stuff out just like from the get-go mm. yeah and like whenever it comes to metal i actually um i really enjoy these kind of strange offshoots of of metal where most of the instrumentalists have classical backgrounds mm -hmm. oh yeah <laughs> like melodic death metal and power metal and <clears throat> hank learned this he, he was telling me a while back that like if you look at it like you know your typical idea of a metal band or a death metal band and then you look at like a power metal or a melodic death metal band you realize like the the sort of instrumental skill level skyrockets oh yeah because you yeah. have to have like a certain level of background of classical background to do certain um you know like like melody types of things um uh one of the big things like with a with like a symphony x is um they do crazy like time signature switches in the middle oh, of the yeah, song. Oh, yeah, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's it, without a intimate level of uh, knowledge and ability with music theory, you just wouldn't be able to do it. And it doesn't mean that it's better than other types of metal, but it is a unique and extremely difficult type of metal. And to me, I, I think one of the reasons why I enjoy it is because I've always enjoyed something. I've always, what I always tell people is that with music, regardless of the genre, I have my preferred genres that I'd rather listen to. 
but I can listen to any genre of music, any type of music, any song, as long as it's performed well, mm-hmm. as long as it's done with a, a, a modicum of skill, and, and I can enjoy it because I can admire the skill that goes into that song. And I think that there's actually a lot of modern music that doesn't have a whole lot of skill (laughs) and and just has kind of a generic thing that, you know, is is mostly just um, a few basic stuff with a decent with a honestly, the skill comes from a producer or somebody like that who's doing all the the post-production stuff. And and that I don't I can't enjoy. I can't get I can't get excited about. But. A, a genre that I don't enjoy that is performed very well, I can enjoy. Yep. Because I can admire the the talent of the musicians. You know, I've been able to actually enjoy some of the more like modern pop stuff after I started trying to produce some of my own oh, stuff. Yeah. You know, because you can start to <laughs> appreciate like the different the different stuff that they do is like oh shit that was actually a really cool I don't modern know. pop producers are insanely good oh yeah, yeah. because well and usually it's not just like a singular person it's a whole team that's yeah. the thing yeah. about modern pop is that they have you know ten producers per song yeah so yeah it's actually there is a little bit of tough kinda... tough uh, categorization there mm. yeah. Uh, I was gonna say it's kind of cool. The uh, I think one of the latest updates on Logic Pro added a project file for I think it was Montero by Lil Nas X, and I don't know if it's <laughs> like the actual like final project file. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. Uh-huh. Um, and but it's I mean it's the whole song with like every single thing in there and like oh, all really? the and i mean there's like i want to say like 50 vocal tracks alone in that mm. in that song just because yeah. of like all the different layers and all the and like you listen to the song on its own and it just sounds it sounds pretty simple like it's just like yeah you know, it seems the thing like and then there's like the beat and like it's straightforward but no there's <laughs> so much that goes into that song yeah yeah uh so that was yeah like what what hank said it's like once you have sort of more understanding of like the technical aspects of some of this stuff it, you can you can appreciate it a little bit more like i one big thing for me was britney spears's music like back in the mid 2000s mm-hmm. i did not enjoy listening to britney spears but now i have like a huge amount of respect for that music and just based on the production alone because it's produced so impeccably and like the composition and just like the different the sound selection everything was just like so on point and so well put together Mm. and just like like i wasn't I, i had no concept of that back then i was just like oh yeah this is just stupid you know commercial pop music and at the end of the day it is just stupid commercial pop music but like it's made really well and i yeah i always enjoy I, I don't some really of the people who are making it are super talented <laughs> yeah yeah and that's how it goes it's like it's like you you want to and obviously you know you don't want to hate on britney spears because 
poor Britney Spears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that whole situation. <laughs> so it's yeah, like, fuck. Oh, you can't hate on Britney Spears. She's like the She's fucking pop victim of the century. So Dear shit. God. I feel yeah. so bad for Britney Spears. <laughs> but like, you can hate on some of like the creative choices of, of her team to make the, the pop music, but that was what was popular. Yeah. And the producers were incredibly good at making it. Yeah. Like, all in all, her music was like dynamite. Yep. It was it was it was the best fucking so music you could possibly make at the time. Yeah. It's just yeah, and and yeah, it like you said it's catchy. It's it holds up a lot of it holds up as good music. And yeah, it's overplayed and it's poppy and it's lowest common denominator shit and it's not my particular genre. But it's made really fucking well. And it's made basically at the sacrifice of a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I, I did want to go back to um, to one thing that you mentioned because I thought it was really interesting how you found that, like, in general, depending on people's backgrounds, they folk like as you said, like cl- people with a classical background focus more on melody, mm-hmm. whereas people from other backgrounds were more into like rhythm. Yeah, I guess. And I, and I, I was, I thought about that for a second. I found it really interesting because for me, like, I mean, my, when it comes to like background, like I, I didn't really have any like teachers. So I learned, I just like listened to music and then sang along to it. And then when I started playing guitar, I was like, it was mostly like folk music, right? And so for me, like, I don't, I almost never think about melody. Like Mm. melody is, I, it'll just be something that I do completely intuitively. Oh yeah. Like, it's not like, it's not even like, I'll just like, you know, start writing shit down or like, I'll just start singing and I'll just kind of like find something. But, but that's not like the, like, I wouldn't say that that is like a focus in my music at all really Mm -hmm. even though i think some of the tunes have a nice melody like it's it's not really something that i that i'm like really focused on it's more about i i i focus more on the harmony and the rhythm and um and the lyrics and like getting that all to fit together but then I mean, it, it is. It's just. Aren't interesting. you not classically <clears throat> trained, though? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what he's getting at. So that's it's it's. I'm saying that this is like kind of corroborating that finding. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but but part. one thing yeah, that is that interesting makes sense. is Carl, my brother. He started playing mandolin a few years ago, and he kind of I would say his background, like what he really got into, was was bluegrass yeah. music and like he got really into the, like the Irish fiddle tunes mm. and those mm. are very like melody yeah based yeah, so totally. like when we play well, that's not even like I don't even think you consider that to be like like based around the western classical structure because I don't think Irish they are. yeah it was like Irish before. melody tunes you can't base them around the same sort of system as like melody and rhythm because it's a whole different structure of music. I don't know if you're into Irish music, but 
I but, really love Irish music, and it is completely different than classical Western music. Well, I, it's still. Or go, you can uh, go ahead. I was gonna say that's a, that's a good point because when I was when I was growing up playing the violin and doing lessons and stuff, I did for a little while seek out like Celtic and Irish uh, fiddle tunes to learn, and those melodies. I think a lot of my like. Uh, I notice myself sort of going for melodies that can, they have some aspect of those Celtic, Irish type melodies, and they don't sound like it because you know I'm doing my own thing with it. But the, uh, I feel like that played a large role because of how like catchy and cool those melodies are. Yeah. So I I just found yeah, it very interesting say... that even though they're and I think I can I can kind of nail down why they're so different, but I found it interesting that because that was kind of Carl's background, like the fiddle tunes, like it's it's all about the melody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when we played together, it kind of naturally became this thing where like I would be taking over the rhythm and the harmony, and then he would be doing the melody. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think one of the main reasons why Irish folk music. In particular is like so different from from the like classical western tradition or the yeah the classical music in the west is like they they don't really give a shit about like playing diatonically yeah. they'll do all this like yeah. circle of fifths shit where they're just like it's all about just like the intervals uh between the chords say, they're fucking their time signature is is all over the place. Yeah, yeah. There's a and lot of like also, six eight triplet type stuff. I love that. Yeah, there's lots of switches, but the, I would say, you, my, in my opinion, you know what I think the biggest difference is, is that Western music, than what we're talking about here, and and for the listeners by Western music, we're talking about like sort of like symphony type stuff. You know, we're talking Beethoven it started with at its core a symphony a a group of instrumentalists of different types of instruments that were following different structures of music with a conductor at its core and then that evolved to a handful of instrumentalists with a singer and i think that in the case of irish in folk type music it actually started with singing and kind of like you know tapping on tables or you know whatever you had around or maybe somebody's got a little bit of an instrument but the 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 big part is a group of people they're singing lyrics yeah. and that's one of the biggest things that i think is a difference in irish music is that it's very poetic mm-hmm. it's based around the poetry and then the music kind of goes along with it and it swings along with the poetry and everybody's keeping time with it and you have these sort of like enunciated lyrical lines it is Whereas also a lot of western music instrumental music though the music there's a lot yeah, a but lot I, of it is just just fiddle tunes no lyrics at all just melody like it's it's uh but a that's lot, a lot of, of that is uh, like I, i'm i'm talking about like the the traditional irish kind of like pub song type stuff specifically irish 
where it was it was kind of focused on um like stuff that people could dance to and sing to where it was like the the idea is that we're going to do something we're going yeah. to we're going to interact with the music whereas western music was more that we're going to be an audience in experiencing this performance of music that's actually one of my biggest one of the biggest things that why I like never really got into classical music I think was I think it was a huge mistake to like cuz I think like embodiment in music is so important like it's such an important part of the experience of music so like dancing mm -hmm. and and be, like participating in the music even as an audience member Whereas, like, when you have this thing where, like, everybody is just, like, sitting there perfectly still. <laughs> and, like, I think there still is this interaction and there still kind of is this, like, subtle participation that's happening. And maybe you can speak to this because you've actually fucking played in an orchestra. What do you think about this, Cosmo? This is an interesting <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe you can kind of speak to this a little bit more. But, like, what? yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think it's just completely, a completely different thing. And I think it's a lot more interesting to play in a symphony orchestra like a lot more thrilling and fun mm. than to just watch a symphony orchestra performance mm. because i think yeah there's that that audience interaction thing that is completely devoid in classical music and it's a it's more just i think from the perspective of like you go to a symphony orchestra concert like you go to the museum to look at nice paintings <laughs> right like you just stand there <laughs> and you look at it and you appreciate the technical ability of the artist mm. and artists that are putting it together i have rather. something to say about this when you're done yeah yeah um i think i think that's pretty much my opinion on it and as someone who has a lot of like appreciation for like technical ability and like just like the the sheer spectacle of it i that's that's sort of the main draw for me and when i want sort of more audience interaction i know where to find that right but yeah yeah that's that's where i'm at on that mm. so one thing that i always like to think about and this this gets into one of my wheelhouses here <laughs> over you the i don't know about you cosmo but certainly over hank because <laughs> hank f finds history to be boring that's not true <laughs> <laughs> you told me that i'm pretty sure on the podcast you said those words i i i believe what i was referring to was the experience of being taught history uh in through our education systems like i mean we've okay both, we've both talked about how legit like someone like dan carlin is where it's like that uh, yeah he's yes. for me like that's fucking history man that's what i'm but you still you've still been a little resistant to me doing some history stuff i think that's i don't think so dude <laughs> i'm gonna have to staunchly disagree with you all right all right <laughs> fine fine agree to disagree 
I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to bust out some. I'm gonna have to go back and listen because I'll actually. You're gonna uh, pop I'll, in. I'll listen. To, I'm gonna, You're gonna pop. I'm in. just gonna clip. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna take your words <laughs> right out of context. Right. Um, <laughs> luckily, I luckily you probably don't have time to do that before we have to release this one. I definitely don't have time to do that. Um, so, no, what I was uh, going to say was that I think that one thing that happens here in sort of a historical context is that the the performance of a classical orchestra in, say, the 17, 1800s, or, you know, even go back farther, 14, 1500s, must have been completely mind-boggling. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, you have these people like architecturally constructing these acoustic uh, well-done halls you, you there's no such thing as reverb back then <laughs> the reverb comes from the structure of the room yeah and so you have these like geniuses in both the construction of the hall the playing of the instruments the composing of the piece of music and meanwhile you're a 16th century goob <laughs> who's <laughs> never heard shit you know you've 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 never heard uh, some some modern music you know you've never heard the rolling stones <laughs> the the most you've probably heard as far as music goes is probably some clown at your local corner tavern who's been playing like an out of tune lute and you know coming up with some stupid ass song that he made himself and then suddenly you have you go to an orchestra playing and you have this genius these not just one genius but a whole shitload of really smart people creating this incredible performance for you with hundreds of instruments and thousands upon thousands of hours of man hours going into the performance, it must have been truly mind-boggling. Yeah, to experience that sort of thing. I would I would totally agree with you on that because before the advent of recorded music, you couldn't just you couldn't just go listen to music whenever you wanted no. to. It was mm -hmm. like you had to like. I'm, and I'm sure whoever was playing it for you. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure, like, considering the status of some of these uh, these composers and the uh, the capital required to hire and and pay for all these musicians, like watching a symphony orchestra was probably like a premium experience that right. like you probably yeah. had to pay a lot of money for. To yeah. Some if to you them. were lucky, you might as a lower class person, you might get to see one in your lifetime. Yeah. Right? If you were lucky. <laughs> and yeah, so like putting it in that perspective, like that makes it like a sacred like culmination of engineering and ingenuity. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's to, just I, I like, feel like it's important to kind of keep that in context <laughs> whenever we're just like, oh, yeah, exactly. this is so fucking boring, man. <laughs> yeah. so you, have, you don't understand how much this meant to somebody in the 17th century. 
This, yeah. this made somebody literally rethink their entire lives to hear one time. Well, it's it's also and really... now you can just listen to it on Spotify and give it a fucking thumbs down. <laughs> I th- well, I think it's also interesting to, like, notice the connection between... Because obviously, as you were mentioning, like a lower class person probably wouldn't even be able to go to an orchestra. So this was kind of something that like the aristocratic class could do. And, you know, back back in the day, that yeah, up class, until I'd say probably the late 18th to early 20th century or late 19th to 20th century. Yeah, it was pretty much excluded from the lower class unless, like I said, you were very lucky. Yeah, so so the deal so the deal with that is like I mean if you look back at that culture like it it was very stiff in a lot of ways like you got the corset and you got like yeah. like so and everybody <laughs> has a fucking you know like so of course the misogynist tank over here goes straight to the corset <laughs> thinking about tits dude that's because I'm a feminist all right <laughs> Not a misogynist, you <laughs> bastard. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, you're always fucking derailing me, dude. <laughs> I love derailing the corsets you. I and love, the, I'll ne- the rigidness. I'll never get tired of derailing you. It's you bastard. So I don't do that to you. Make you fucking... Especially when it's I mean, uh, you could, you could try. <laughs> Give it a shot sometime, especially when there's a there's a, there's a we got a th- third wheel here. I gotta just gotta derail you even more now. You just gotta make so this go as on. difficult Corsets. as pop- possible as pops popsicles. <laughs> um, yeah, but just the I I, I kind of like saw this connection between having this like very strict and stiff culture and like how that maybe is part of why that tradition kind of turned into this thing where you know you have a room full of like disembodied brains just like you know taking in the music but like there was no dance there was no expression right because that was kind of like uncouth uh, yeah, you have to have your fucking mo- your, your, uh, your little, mo- the little binocular binoculars that you hold in your like so I just find that really interesting. And then contrasting that with, uh, you know, like the blues, Jazz. for example, <laughs> which really like, you know, it's interesting because in some sense, like classical music is the basis for the music that we listen to now. But like it's mo- like blues now is really like that's to me the foundation of all all of our music that that we listen to now right like it's that's yeah. where jazz came from that's where fucking hip-hop comes from that's where i mean blues turned into rock or didn't turn into it but like inspired yeah, rock, rock came out of that all like it fused into the folk traditions like and and i find this fascinating how it fused with the traditional Irish music and those fiddle tunes and stuff to create like bluegrass music. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I just, I'm man. And the blues is a, is a different beast, right? The blues is a fucking embodied experience, right? That is like just putting it all out on the fucking table. Yeah. Everything. Like there's no, this is like, this is a, Oh man. It's so, I love it. It's so inspiring, like that. Real quick, 
Do I want to keep going? I can keep going, but I got to take a piss. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you were about you to say something. To so, go. yeah, go go take a piss, and we can we can continue. Okay, you got, you, okay. I'm I'm down to keep rolling. <laughs> we got a, we got a, we got a three way, so it's gonna be three times as long. <laughs> keep going. I don't I don't know what I was. Gonna you say. don't remember what you're gonna say? I think it was just an affirmative. Just like yeah, yeah. Yeah, the blues, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this was another thing that we were kind of, like, touching on over the past couple of days. Um, but just, like, the the power of blues and, like, it's this... It's rooted in the deepest suffering. Yeah. And it has now birthed and created pretty much all of the beautiful music that we get to experience now yeah, like yeah. came from that core of suffering yeah and to me like that's that is such a f- beautiful fucking thing with music yeah, like yeah. like you don't get these soaring highs of like just you know cuz i've listened to there's been so much music that just has brought tears of joy and yep. gratitude to my my being and like all of that's rooted in blues mm-hmm. in a sense yeah. if you go back right yeah um yeah it's pretty it's pretty interesting i mean but i guess I mean, has do you feel like blues has like what wh- what's your relationship with that? With because like I feel like EDM is like that's a a far cry from that original. Yeah, um, you know I'm not like extremely well versed in the entire history of like electronic music, um, but. Yeah, because, like, I, I don't personally listen to a lot of blues mm. on my own. Uh, when it, you know, when it's around, I'm, I'm, I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but, like, the... Because uh, I know back in the 1980s, like, early 80s, house music started to become a thing in Chicago. Uh, and that was uh very i don't i don't know where that came from but i think it was from like starting from like the funk and disco Mm. era um which i'm sure if you if you trace it back (laughs) probably (laughs) has roots in blues right um and that was really where things began because like synthesizers and uh and and drum machines and things sort of became a little bit more accessible <clears throat> right to maybe not like everybody but like if you have a music studio like you're gonna start to be able to afford those things right um, and i think it just sort of it just sort of stemmed from there and even if you think about like the whole hip-hop scenes and everything a lot of electronic music is rooted in hip-hop and a lot of hip-hop is electronic music right because you think about like a lot of the stuff that was coming out of like atlanta in uh 
I'm, you know, I'm also not a historian on this stuff, but like, I, I want to say like the late nineties or like mid nineties, like the use of the 808 drum machine is right. like a, a seminal turning point in like electronic music history. Right. Whoa. And all that sort of coming to where we're at now. And this is just, I'm just talking about like the United States. Cause you look at like the UK and all of the uh all of the music that's sort of rooted in um i want to say like the uh there's I, th I think there's a lot of like jamaican culture in like and and sort of caribbean culture that came to the t to the uk and you know i could be bungling all of this history <laughs> I, I honestly like do not have a uh have any sources on this but uh, what I do want to say is there is a an extremely uh, I think wherever you look at least in the electronic music space it all started in like black communities just sort of like trying to uh, make things happen mm. and sort of being in a position with not a lot of economic opportunity and just making music and using that as an outlet and finding success with that because the other options were not that great and mm. that's sort of the case with blues as well right and so this is all the kind of stuff that like now we're here and of course you know there's like a lot of commercialization and everything and I think it's good to like take a second and like look back and sort of be uh thankful for and appreciative of the history of these things and sort of the uh what you were saying with blues where it's like we now have so much beautiful amazing music that came out of this place of like darkness yeah. and sadness and not good things so yeah yeah and then it, it kind of like i don't know for me there, there's this it kind of like harkens back to just like a universal balance mm -hmm. of light and darkness like the yin yang like out of darkness arises the light and yeah. vice versa right like you yep even in the darkest part you have that flicker of light you know that yeah. that ball of light and like there's darkness in the you know you have so you it all balances out in the end and like it's so trippy to just think about how like something that we can all agree was fucked up like slavery was fucked obviously and like is fucked it's still yeah. happening yeah. all around the world Jeez, where the fuck did i come in <laughs> uh and then at the same time out of this horrible experience arose what i consider to be like some of the most beautiful music on the planet yeah yeah and has personally given me so much value and mm. and brought so much joy yeah and and beauty into my fucking heart and into my life that like i can't help but be thankful 
for that at least right and then it's yeah. like and then you have this weird thing where it's like fuck i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna title the uh clip of this um hank, hank is grateful for slavery for his slavery <laughs> because he personally benefits from the music that it created that would that would be Boom. a great example of how to take something out of context and make somebody look like a complete fucking shithead. Be a great example of how to how to just skyrocket me to my media career. Right. Yeah, I mean like we're getting we're getting we're trying to get else. canceled here, so this is that would be a good strategy. But I don't know if I want to take the hit. I want to I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I win at this point. I think at this point I'm I'm, I'm also going to get stepped on if I if I make that that headline. So. But I, but like let I know you're you it's it's a funny joke and everything, but like let's be real here about this. Let's like let's be real here about this <laughs> no no like let's i want to be hear, real here about I this hear, i am thankful no, for i want to see like you're, you're trying to skirt around it with humor but i want to hear what you think about this shit man this is like I, this is a I, serious I, I, fucking I question. leaped into this conversation a little late I'm, what do you want me he's to hear what do you want to hear my opinion about? he's trying to fucking get out of the uh get out no, of the what, question what, what, no what's the question I mean, you you were been listening for the past five minutes, so you you should have been able to track what what's what we've been talking about, right? Give You're, me the exact question before I answer it. I'm my question be... was, what do you think about this? <laughs> <laughs> that was the exact question. <laughs> what do I think about this? I think that I am confused about what you were talking about before I came in after taking a piss. That's okay. You're. You're just going for what the cop my, out. It's fine. What is my no, opinion about what? Yes, I, buddy, I'm, I'm. I'm fucking with you, dude. I'm very I'm, I'm into just... politics. I know how to answer <laughs> these types of questions, my friend. I know how to avoid making political blunders. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, you were here for this, so I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. But I was just making the observation. I was only here for a partial amount. If of you're it, gonna let so. me tell you this or if you're gonna keep on interrupting me i don't know what you want to what you want to do here but as long as you tell me what i need to uh, answer that's what i was trying to do okay are you are you ready right. are you prepared yeah yeah right. I'm ready. are you good now you, you good yeah all right 100 percent. so i was just mentioning the um just like uh, the the understanding that out of something that we can all agree is fucking horrible and horrifying which is slavery something that's still happening today out of this came the most beautiful and touching life-changing music not just for me but for our entire culture it has dominated our our entire culture since not to mention the best football players that's where there's the there's the cancellation right there <laughs> cancel <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's uh oh man i didn't know you're gonna go you're gonna go there shit man well we're really well, close now <laughs> we're not we're well, not it's gonna be it's kind of the one. same <laughs> it, it, it's unfortunately the same kind of thing i i do get what you're getting at and um in the same vein as the sort of musical thing that came out of slavery and all these horrible things. I think that that there are plenty of examples 
throughout history where you can point to amazing art that had the most horrific of circumstances to its creation. Yeah. And sometimes it is the person who's creating the art who's had something really bad happen to them. Or sometimes it's the person who's making the art who is a horrific person. And some of the best art and music, I mean, I, I can, I, whenever I say art, I always include music as, as a form of art. So some of the best art has come out of people who were absolutely fucking messes of people and who had had some of the most horrific shit happen to them and who like couldn't hold their shit together but they could make incredible art and because of their suffering and because of the horror that was done to them we gain pleasure by getting to experience their incredible art and, and i think it's sometimes... more than just pleasure though right like it's some of this well, stuff. Maybe I should say we gain our valuable experiences. Because, yeah, you're right. Because there's a lot of people like that who, you know, I mean, I, I gain pleasure from, you know, despair in art as well. So I would still use the word pleasure, but maybe that's not the best word for most people. Well, I think, I think that that's part of it, right? But there's also this like there's something beyond just pleasure that we maybe that we get satisfaction well okay i think this presents us with like an extremely uh complicated and extremely confusing and conflicting ethical and philosophical question of if we end up with cool things is it worth the expense of the events that led up to them and because like okay like that's that's kind of a poorly worded but like, i mean that that's kind of the question of america right like yeah yeah what, I, what i'm saying is we like, ended up with a pretty cool country is it does it justify how we got here but if you okay like if you think if you had a time machine and you went back in time to, like, 1930, and you assassinate Hitler. Out of the blue, he's gone. The Nazi party crumbles. The Holocaust never happens. Obviously, you go back to, to the future, to the modern day, you don't know what the fuck you're going to find. Like, yeah. It could, could be way worse. Yeah, exactly. So is it like, it's this weird thing of like reconciling with the horrors of the past and understanding that we now have been able to, despite those horrors or through those horrors, create a world that is better or trying to be better and we have beautiful things from it. And is it like, I think it just comes to that dark and light thing. Yeah, but um, any anybody who has the power to travel back in time and kill Hitler, <laughs> um, please do it. <laughs> please don't. No, 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 no. Please don't, because please don't be a dumbass. Don't go back in time and assassinate Hitler. 
go back just slightly farther back in time and kill Gavrilo Princip, who assassinated Franz Ferdinand, who started World War I, without which Hitler would have never risen, risen to power and probably but you could gone do to that, art school. Like, you could do that ad infinitum, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Because I would be like, <laughs> don't be an asshole <laughs> and murder somebody, <laughs> but just cock-block Gavrilo Princip's mom from getting fucking <laughs> gotta knocked say, up. Like, you know what I mean? Gotta say, Hank, there are, there are a few things. There are a few reasons. I mean, Did you hear what maybe I said, I did. <laughs> You don't have to be but a dick I will say You don't have to fucking stab him in the neck or something. You might as well just like do it in a chill way, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> there... Um, block his dad. As, as some people will have said, like... <clears throat> like... If... Um, like, like, as you said, there, there you could have done this ad infinitum because things lead to things that lead to things that lead to things. But... I always laugh whenever people are just like, oh, well, just kill this one leader and this won't happen. And that's that's a, a, it's the same thing that I was just saying, but it's kind of a joke. Um, because Gavrilo Princip was the assassin of, of Franz Ferdinand, who was the archduke who got assassinated that pretty much set off World War One. But the question is, if he hadn't, if Gavrilo Princip hadn't have killed him, would something else have taught, touched off World War One? And and it's very likely that that's the case, given if you know like the it's, background of what was going down and what had been building it's up. Pretty likely, it um, that is a that particular assassination has been widely credited as an unusually perfect way. To touch off World War One, yeah, but the 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 pieces were in place. Um, but I, I in the same way, I always laugh whenever I, I, I hear people say, "Oh, just go back in time and assassinate Hitler, and then you prevent the Holocaust." Like, maybe you might. Yeah, and I I mean, I think that's like another philosophical question where like. Are these major events in the timeline destined to happen regardless? Yeah. And fate versus predeterminism. Yes. A conversation <laughs> I love to talk about because I don't have a strong opinion either way. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to figure it out. And it's like, it's also, yeah. it comes down to like, do you even have free will? And are the events of your own life predetermined? And I think. And also, are there higher orders of beings <laughs> trying to influence in both directions? Mm. Is there another layer of struggle upon our dimensional existence? Yeah. Just above where we can perceive. It, uh, it creates a whole <clears throat> lot of existential questions. Yes. And I, I to, to go back to an existential question here, something that you mentioned before, which I... That's kind of what I was trying to drive at when I was asking, when I gave you the very vague question <laughs> of what do you what do you think about this or whatever. But like that that's kind of I came in in the middle of the conversation. I know, I know. I, I'll I'll cut you some slack on that one, but it was uh, I did because I didn't realize Salty. exactly where you jumped in. Uh, it was a it 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 was in the middle of a long rambling um, dialogue there, but that 
that kind of the philosophical and ethical questions of like and it's not like you know people who don't have half a brain would listen to that and think that we're i don't know whatever justifying slavery or like saying that it was a good thing or whatever but like it's not really about that it's just about understanding that it's like the butterfly effect in a way yeah except on a way bigger scale than a fucking butterfly wing it's like this is we're going to be experiencing the effects of that phenomenon forever yeah right like that yeah. will that will transpire that will echo through time forever yeah and will it's affecting everything that has happened since and like it's not to say that that was a good thing but it's it's just to to like understand that we have been given something so incredibly valuable and beautiful and it was born out of this horrifying place of darkness and suffering right and like yep. and that's something that we should treasure and and it's it's like and i think that speaks to like human nature where like do we just like regardless of what happens to us it is in our nature to take pain and suffering and to try to try our best to come out on the other side with something better than we had before hmm. right and like transmuting that into something beautiful yeah right? like you have a guy like i think it's at least in our nature to attempt it yeah exactly yeah. and we can yeah. get overwhelmed and we can and make big time fuck-ups on that <laughs> Yeah, Make things a lot of worse. people get their capacity for this overwhelmed, but I think that I think it's it's kind of a square rectangle thing. I think that true beauty and, um, and maybe not true beauty—that's a little bit too of an extreme statement. The some some of the best art, I will say much of the best art comes out of a sort of domino effect from extreme suffering. Yeah. If not most of the best art. And if you look into the lives of the greatest artists and musicians over the years, you will find almost inevitably difficult circumstances. Yep. And every now and then you'll get a golden boy or girl mm -hmm. who can hand it just happens to be in the right place at the right time with the right talent and they do great. Yeah, it kind of reminds but me I of like a Jacob Collier. Like he just seems like he's had a great life. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. He's he doesn't seem like he's like I mean of course Ooh. everyone struggles, right? But like it just seems like like to me he he reminds me of of a child in like the best way like he's just so open and playful and like yeah um it's one of the few times in my life i get jealous somebody's <laughs> just like has a, like just golden boy sailing through life stable family life stable home life successful talented 
good looking <laughs> virtuoso all the way through just a pluses <laughs> time and time again i'm just like you Asshole. I, lo- I love everything you're doing but I hate you right but then on the other <laughs> side you have people them. like I mean talking about this thing with the gifts that we get from darkness and from traumatic experiences like th- uh, thought about Eckhart Tolle uh, like he you know he's one of these you know um I don't know. He's a spiritual teacher. Many consider him to be enlightened. And he said that like his enlightenment experience came from the deepest possible suffering and despair. Like that's, it took him experiencing the worst, just being in the worst possible place that's what gave him access to like the divine or to you know pure awareness or whatever you want to fucking call it right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um that's like a i feel like that's a pretty kind of on point example of like even in the darkest place there's that there's that potential there's that spark of light that we can all find and um and they're inextricably linked it's not a it's a it's a non-dual phenomenon i think that's kind of what i'm maybe what i've been trying to drive at here right Mm -hmm. well i sure hope so (laughs) (laughs) because dear god i have been suffering lately due to tree semen that's been forcibly shoved up into my sinuses due to the wind which i am highly reactive to so i i really need to wrap this thing up fellas we're a little over two hours here oh wow this has been a fantastic conversation yeah i have yeah i've enjoyed every second of this um but I think it's about that time. But um, Cosmo, is there anything that you would like to plug and or mention before we end this uh, end this episode? I will put your links and stuff in the description. Uh, yeah, I guess if you want to follow me and my music, you can uh, find me my my alter ego is remnant.exe uh i've got a soundcloud by that name you can find me on instagram at remnant.exe twitter uh i think my twitter handle is remnants of your all one word same thing with my facebook <laughs> i'll have i'll have them i'll have the uh, links in the description yeah it'll all have be you all on all those things it'll be in the description <laughs> but yeah uh that's that's where you can find me uh that's about it's about everything I have to plug. I really appreciate having the opportunity to be here again. I love you guys. Uh, I love listening to the podcast, and it's an honor to be a part of it. Yeah, hopefully well, we won't uh, fun thing. get canceled from from this one, guys. Like, <laughs> if we make it on the other side, yeah. then uh, we, we I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting canceled. 
You like Jordan Peterson, okay? If we don't get canceled over that, then we're not getting canceled over anything, you fucking Nazi. But wow. I um wow, we're gonna we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have to uh we're gonna have to get get into that another time. <laughs> you fucking radical uh, leftist neo Marxist fucking <laughs> You're just a postmodernist, neo-Marxist, <laughs> communist. Oh man! But anyways, anyways, Cosmo, I would love to to do this again. Let's have you on again. Um, as I was saying at the beginning of the episode, I'd really love to get down uh, the ability to do these kinds of things. Um, when we're all in different locations. So yeah, I'd love to try and have you on again after uh, Hank heads back to Denmark and, and maybe we can try and do it all in, in a little three-way convo. And uh, maybe I can just, you know, record on OBS or whatever. Any, so, anytime. Let me know. Great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on again. Sorry to subject you to Hank and I's ranting. <laughs> oh, I subject myself every time I listen to the podcast, so it's a pleasure, for sure. Alright, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we will see you next week. Peace. Yep. See ya. Love. Love.